good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces, and welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. And today, in this podcast, we're going to discuss Armageddon and the use of it lately and historically. Today, we're going to lead off with Isaiah 8, verses 11 through 13. As usual, we'll have several other scriptures that we'll reference and read today, and we'll put those in the overview. So with the last days and the coming apocalypse under the Holy Scriptures, let's just dig right in. Yes, current event, Armageddon. Now, this is not to be confused with uh, apocalypse, which, by the way, in the Greek simply means revelation. Mm. As in Revelation 1-1, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, which would also could be translated the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. But it means to be revealed. But we're looking at the idea of Armageddon, which, uh, of course, comes from, as we will see, the book of Revelation. Here's a quote to start us off on this, why it's a current event. Quote, and this is from uh, Fox News, October 6th of this year. President Biden said in an address to the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee on Thursday night that the country under his leadership is as close to Armageddon as it has been since the Cuban Missile Crisis in the 1960s. Now, some believe there is a conspiracy to get us into war, as we will see, nuclear war. But let's remember the last podcast about conspiracies, (laughs) and these words, as Randy reads them from Isaiah 8, 11 through 13. For the Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. Yes, fear the Lord only. As we talked about last time in our previous podcast, conspiracy theories come and go, and if you let them get a hold of you, they can shake you up and fill you with fears. We don't want that. Fear the Lord only. Here's a quote now to start us off. From Daniel L. Davis from the website Responsible Statecraft. This is the May 3rd, 2022 edition. Here's the headline. Why does Washington want to risk nuclear war with Russia? Okay, that's the headline. Mm. Uh, In this article, uh, Davis refers to the following proposed bill. Quote, the text of Representative Kinzinger's proposed bill would authorize the president, upon confirmation Russia had used chemical, biological, or nuclear weapons to, quote, use the armed forces of the United States, end quote, against Russian targets, and to, quote, this is from the bill proposed, protect the national security interests of the United States, end quote, and to restore, quote, the territorial integrity of Ukraine, end quote. Davis goes on to say, the fellow who wrote this article, the following, quote, this proposal continues a trend among Washington elite who advocate actions that would bring the United States perilously close to a war with Russia, end of quote. Well, who would that be? Well, go mm-hmm. back and check our podcast on globalists. Yeah. You'll, you'll get an answer. <laughs> It'll become apparent. Right. Now, here's another quote. Sort of ties into this. Thought we should address it. Uh, this is from the um, Associated Press quoting the National Opinion Research Center for Public Affairs Research. That's out of the University of Chicago. It's supposed to be an independent organization. Here's the quote. A new poll shows 71% of voters think the future of the country is at stake, 
when they vote in November's midterm elections. Okay, end of quote. Of course, a nation's future is not decided by a vote, but by the providence of God. One of the deceits of democracy is that we get to rule ourselves by deciding our future. That is not what scriptures say. For example, Randy's going to read Psalm 75, 1 through 7. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We count your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. And do not lift up your horn on high or speak with a haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. Right, that's in the world events. And of course, this classic passage, and there's so many more, but this should nail it in the mouth of two or three witnesses, it's established. Jeremiah 18, 5 through 10, this is Jeremiah takes a trip to the potter's house and learns about God's providence. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Yes, not just Israel. The nations are under the judgment and the ruling and the providence of God. He lifts one up and brings down another accordingly in his goodwill and good righteous judgment. Uh, God is the judge, and his judgment for this age, in some matter we can also say will end this age, in an event called Armageddon. So what is the Christian expectation? Armageddon is an event in Revelation that depicts the final judgment of the fallen spiritual world and their human counterparts that ushers in the second coming of Christ. For example, Revelation 16, 16. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Right. This is not a nuclear war between nations, but the ending of wars as such. If you recall Isaiah 2, where it says, In the latter days, uh, the Lord's temple will be exalted above the mountains, and the nations will flow into it, and they'll take their weapons of war and beat them into plows and pruning hooks, and nations shall not lift up uh, sword against nation anymore, and neither shall they learn war anymore. So, obviously, this is not happening in this age. This age is the age of wars, wars, and rumors of wars, because that's what Jesus prophesies in Matthew uh, 24. Mm -hmm. But this is, Isaiah 2 is about the kingdom to come, the one we're supposed to be praying for, as in, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. So let's do a little bit of background here, just to fill in uh, some places here that'll give us a, um, a context. Uh, Armageddon, also known as Mount Megiddo, is a plain with a tell. A tell is like a, depending on who you read, a small mountain or a real large hill. Mm. And uh, I was in, Wanda and I were in Israel back in the late 90s, and we got to be up on that tell, that high hill, and see this plain, a tremendous plain uh, that is Megiddo. Um, 
for example, yes. But Armageddon is is not a, an asteroid the size of Texas hurtling towards Earth that Bruce Willis has to has to save us from. That's not different Armageddon. That that's a that's a, that's a movie Armageddon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, not 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 found not in the same, Bible. Not, it's not the same one. Not yeah. the same one. Not yeah. the same one. Um, for example, here's a some Old Testament reference to give you some understanding of what we're talking about is an actual location in the uh, in Israel, the nation of Israel. Second Chronicles 35, 22. Nevertheless, Josiah did not turn away from him, but disguised himself in order to fight with him. He did not listen to the words of Necho from the mouth of God, but came to fight in the plain of Megiddo. There you go. That's uh, Josiah, one of the last good kings who made an error in judgment there. But they were fighting in the plain of Megiddo. And there were battles in this area, uh, other places in the Bible, such as uh, Barak, uh, fighting against the Canaanites. Here's Judges 5, uh, verse 19. The kings came, they fought, then fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh. But the waters of Megiddo, they got no spoils of silver. Yeah, waters of Megiddo. So there's a, uh, some kind of stream flowing through it at that time. And then this one from 2 Kings 23, verses 28 to the first part of verse 30. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up to the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. King Josiah went to meet him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo as soon as he saw him. And his servants carried him dead in a chariot from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and appointed him and made him king in his father's place. So some important battles there in the Old Testament uh, in Megiddo. And some scholars will say when the Bible mentions Jezreel Valley, it's referring to the same place. Uh, Though this is a historical location past and present, the Valley of Megiddo. And it's a real event, book of Revelation. Its use in Revelation symbolizes the defeat of all evil on earth when Jesus returns. It's given to us symbolically. For example, years ago, in fact, back in the 1970s, we were teaching something on prophecy and had a fellow in the class, uh, let's call him Bruce, and he says, this, the Battle of Armageddon, and we've been talking about that. He says, I, man, he says, my desire is to drive a tank in the Battle of Armageddon. <laughs> and I tried to tell him, I said, I, tanks are not going to be really involved. It's not that kind of a battle that's being talked about. Mm. And we'll see more about that in a non-symbolic text um, from Second Thessalonians 2 in just a little bit. Right now, let's look at the pertinent passages from Revelation. First of all, Revelation 15.1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. Yes, for this age, the wrath of God is finished. It's a pouring out of the bowls and ushers in, in chapter 19, visibly so, the return of Jesus. Now, next chapter, chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. There you go. Now, a little further down, verses 12 through 16. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophets, 
three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits, performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Yes, symbolically represents the worldwide conflict that will come to an end with the return of Jesus. Let's turn now to chapter 19 and look at a few verses there to give us some context. Verse 11. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Yes, throughout the book of Revelation, we have several places where there is a picture of the coming kingdom. But this is the climax now, and all gathered up in Jesus on a white horse, because after this event, as you move to chapter 20, 21, 22, the whole atmosphere and the structure of Revelation changes because you're into the next age. Let's look at verse 19 of chapter 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. Yeah, beast is interesting character. We don't have time to dwell on that with this uh, podcast, but it represents anti-Christian government, apparently, and uh, represented as a horrible monster spirit side of things and um, against Christ, trying to organize the world against Jesus. Verse 20. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Yes, an end to what we on planet Earth would know as bad politics involved always in war and propaganda mm-hmm. to deceive people. And then verse 21. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged on their flesh. Yes, the ones who are slain are the ones who are opposing. Keep that in mind. It's not the end of the human race there. It's the end, the end of some people, apparently. So there's no battle here in the normal sense. It's over before it starts. So let's take a look now at the same sequence of events from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's see how Satan was trying to deceive the church at Thessalonica to upset their faith in God to bring them to doubt the word of God. Now listen to this from 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 4. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Right. This is the picture of the so-called Antichrist, end-time person who will be taken out by the return of Jesus. So why were they being tempted to believe that was contradicting God's word? Well, one, they were being tempted to believe that Jesus had already returned. And they were being left to suffer the judgment of God. Paul assures them Jesus hasn't returned for, number two, that day cannot come unless two events take place. The unprecedented falling away. That's the first one. Remember, people say, well, is that Christians? That's the world. It's the whole world. And in other places, Christians are warned 
you know, not to be deceived by Satan. And we'll see that in a moment. But remember, Satan is the deceiver of the entire world. And that's who's being deceived here. Revelation 12, 7 through 9. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Right. He has a plan. He has a conspiracy, as we saw last time. And he finally has his man, the Antichrist. Now, the revealing of the lawless one um, is one of those great events that Paul is saying you can clearly know about. You can clearly, clearly know that the return of Jesus, the day of the Lord, hasn't begun yet because there hasn't been this great falling away. I mean, things are getting bad, but it's, it hasn't happened. And Paul obviously assumes that we will know that and recognize it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a sign. Mm. So people say, what will we know? You'll know. You'll know when you know. Um, and Satan is trying to deceive the whole world. So after the revealing of the lawless one, who is energized by Satan, uh, he's out to deceive all those who don't love the truth. So here's the answer to, will I be deceived by the Antichrist? Not as long as you love the truth mm. of God. 2 Thessalonians 2, 8 through 10. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Right. It's going to be so clear and so obvious, the light versus the dark, the absolute evil versus the absolute good, and um, choosing sides that, that day will be based clearly upon what you are at the time it happens. So we need to keep that in mind. Now, a lot of deception energized by Satan with the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, to deceive the world. Again, note that parallel in the Armageddon passage that Randy read from Revelation 16. The sixth angel pours out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up. Now, demons, deceptive spirits, uh, aren't stopped by a water. <laughs> they aren't stopped by a river. Mm -hmm. This is a symbolic way of saying the border, the spiritual border that has kept these spirits in place is now open and released, and they're, you know, they're let loose. It's like uh, the depths of hell are emptied. So this is what's happening. This is to prepare the way for kings of the east. Then they emphasize, the, the writer does, John, that these spirits, unclean spirits, are like frogs, and they come out of the main characters here in the book of Revelation, uh, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And they're demonic spirits performing signs. They go about to deceive the whole world. Exactly what Paul's talking about. But you see, Paul, Paul doesn't have a battle. And it's because it is a battle spiritually. But what it will look like historically, once it's over, we'll have to wait to see. Hmm. And so they all assembled at the place, which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So, again, especially note that Paul doesn't say the great sign will be Armageddon. The sign will be people will fall away. There'll be a great rebellion against God, such as the world has never seen, and there'll be a man, Antichrist, who lead it up. There'll be all kinds of deceit, and the only ones who'll know what's going on is those who love the truth. So people in podcast land take that to heart. So there's no battle here. Satan does his work, but Jesus' return does him in with just a breath, as you heard Randy read, just a breath. No troops, no modern battle equipment, just an end to deception that's been going on since Genesis chapter 3. 
So Paul clearly means these two events, the great falling away and the uh, revelation of the man of sin, man of lawlessness, energized by Satan, will be obvious to all who love the truth. That's the cure for deception. As Hebrew tells us very clearly in Hebrews 10, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together so much more so as you see the day, day approaching. approaching. Yeah. We can see it approaching now in the events of our culture. Otherwise, uh, if you don't do that, we'll fall prey to the satanic spirits by some spoken word, the latest conspiracy, as Paul talks to the church of Thessalonica in those opening verses of 2 Thessalonians 2, or a word that goes beyond the apostolic word. As Paul says, apparently you got a letter from me that says, blah, 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 blah. That wasn't for me, somebody else. So Paul reminds them, keep this in mind, forcefully, and so this is important, that he had already told them these things time and again. Listen to Randy again, read 2 Thessalonians 2, 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Yeah, and it uh, means I told you over and over. In other words, they were already susceptible to the wiles of Satan. And the world will be deceived, and we should not be deceived. Jesus warns us that when his return takes place, we need to already be focused on what matters, and that's not worrying about Armageddon and nuclear war and things of that truth, uh, whatever wars may come. The uh, Armageddon is about the final end of all things and the ushering in of the new kingdom. So let's look at Luke 21, verses 25 through 28, where Jesus describes what that will be like in those days as his return is right on the verge of happening. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of heaven will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Right. Truly great events are coming, and we need to be ready for these, not sidetracked by conspiracy theories and falling prey to the occult or deceiving spirits. Here's a uh, bracing passage from 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 and 2, just about this subject. Now the Spirit is expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Right. That's been going on since the time of Jesus. It will, of course, come to a grand climax, uh, obviously worldwide, when um, the times are ready for that in God's providence. So this is exactly what Jesus warns us about in the following verses of Luke 21, 34 through 36. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. Sober warning from Jesus. Don't be distracted. Cast down. Filled with anxiety so you lose control of your senses. These events are coming on the whole earth, not just a plane in Israel. Hmm. The judgment to come involves the whole world. Revelation 16, 16, passage where Armageddon is mentioned, views the whole world symbolically as a great plane for this event, the image of a darkened world opposing the Lord and not even getting off one shot. So there's no Armageddon as the world understands it to come. 
only the final glorious and righteous judgment of the world. In fact, scriptures show that there will be those left besides Christians to enter the kingdom to come. And this is important because our world is filled with movies and books about the great Armageddon coming and nobody's left and the earth, the earth is a crisp and mm-hmm. etc. We need to understand a little more about what's going to happen. The apes take over. The, uh, Charlton Heston is on. Charlton Heston. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cries at the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, scriptures show there will be those left besides Christians to enter the kingdom to come. You say, really? Yes. Let's review first from Revelation itself. Listen to Revelation 15, the first four verses. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast in its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Yes, right before the great wrath of God falls, there is a reminder. All nations are going to come after this is all over Mm -hmm. and worship God. This is a quote from Psalm 86. And if one reads the Psalms carefully, you'll find this scattered throughout the book of Psalms. The coming time of the nations, they're being judged in equity, a time of rejoicing, and uh, good times. So let's look at that. Most people think of Armageddon, judgment, not a time for rejoicing. Let's listen to Psalm 96, verse 1 through 3. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell us... Tell of salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Yes. Because why? Because verses 10 through 13. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. And the peoples in his faithfulness. It's a judgment, which doesn't mean necessarily everybody dies. It means it's a judgment, a separation. Hmm. Um, Psalm 98, the entirety of that psalm repeats again what we've already heard from Psalm 96. And I would remind everybody that if you go to Romans 8, verse 18, and read the rest of that chapter... Paul talks about, and again, the background for this is these psalms we just read and and some others, as well as some prophetic passages from the Old Testament, where Paul says, um, the time uh, for suffering will come to an end. The earth is groaning uh, under its corruption, and God subjected it corruption because of the original sin, you know, back in Genesis. But it's going to be released from its corruption, the whole earth, and, and to the freedom of the sons of God. That is our hope. And so... Creation being released into freedom, what would it be like? It would be like the seas clapping their hands. It would be like Mm. the trees jumping up and down. I mean, metaphorically speaking, it would be like creation is released from this grand curse finally. That's what you see in Psalm 96 and 98. It's a beautiful time of jubilation because that old age and earth is being restored back to what it should have been without sin. This is a result, by the way, also 
of another psalm, going back to Psalm 2, which is one of the lead-in psalms through the book of Psalms that we need to understand, about how God will rule the nations through his anointed one, eventually Jesus. It's a psalm of David, but its fulfillment as we go through the New Testament is found in Jesus. Listen to Psalm 2, 1 through 3. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Right. And this psalm is quoted again in the book of Acts, chapter 4, concerning the crucifixion of Jesus. But let's drop down to Psalm 2, verses 7 through 9. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Yes. Now, obviously, if you're going to rule over people, you don't destroy them. So the dashing there, the shattering, the rod of iron refers to the resistance of the nations will be over Mm. and submitted to the rule of Jesus. So this accords with the teaching of Jesus. And listen to these words now, because this is about Jesus speaking of his own coming back to earth and the judgment that will take place then. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. There you go. So there are three groups here. Um, the sheep uh, who go in, the goats who don't go into the kingdom, and it's all based on how they treated the brothers of mm. Jesus, right? Isn't that what he says? Mm-hmm. You've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Who are they? Matthew twelve fifty. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So we have the followers of Jesus in this scenario, kind of a parable. And there we have the judgment of the nations based on how Jesus' people were treated. And so the sheep go in, the ones who have been taking care of those in the jails when they were sick, when they needed food, the brothers of Jesus, what we would call Christians, They go in, and the goats, who didn't do that, don't go in. Now, is this salvation by works? No. It is God showing mercy to those who showed mercy. As James pointed out, one of my favorite verses from James, James 2, uh, 12 through 13, uh, he says, So speak and so act as those who will be judged by the law of liberty, because judgment without mercy will be given to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. For example, the roots of this, think of the sojourners in Israel. These people who clearly wanted to be with God's people, 
they weren't Israelites, they hadn't converted, but, mm -hmm. but they wanted to march out with them from uh, Egypt, and they became the sojourners. Listen to this from Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 19. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Yes. Right. Then chapter 26, verse 11 from Deuteronomy. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you into your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. Exactly. The sojourner, not part of the covenant, but they're there receiving the benefits. They get blessings. They get the blessings. Yeah. Um, think of Rahab the whore, mm. who was merciful to the spies. And then she and her family got in. Mm -hmm. And wow, the rest of Jericho went under. My favorite, Ruth the Moabitess. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, Deuteronomy 23.3 uh, says, You shall allow no Moabite come into your congregation, even unto the tenth generation. And then later on, much later, Nehemiah chapter 13, uh, the people are reading the law of Moses, says the book of Nehemiah in that passage, and they found the place where it says, you shall never let a Moabite ever come into your, your uh, congregation. Mm. And yet here is Ruth. And I love the book of Ruth because every other every chapter, two or three times, it's Ruth the Moabitess. It's like, say, why is she here? Doesn't <laughs> some, why didn't somebody kick her out? <laughs> Again, because she had mercy on her mother-in-law. Mm -hmm. Right. So... The point is, no Armageddon ending the human race. Nations will be here when the so-called smoke clears. This also conforms to the letters Jesus dictates for the seven churches in Asia in that book of Revelation, that God's people are to reign and rule with him over the nations. And this is after he returns, obviously. Revelation 2, verses 25 through 29. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. But now let us be clear, those two, the ones who are ruled over, the nations, will face a test of loyalty at the end of this kingdom to come what the Revelation calls a thousand years, sometimes referred to as the millennial kingdom, the kingdom reign of a thousand years. Let's just briefly look at a couple passages. Revelation 20, the first three verses. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Yes, isn't it amazing? A thousand years, he's put away, he's no longer on planet Earth, as Peter says, going about seeking whom he may devour, and the nations are not being deceived. Hmm. So the rule there is minus Satan, which means so much. And then, of course, he's going to be released for a little while. Why is that? Well, let me preface it before Randy reads the next verses. And every time in the Bible, in the age, in history past, it's ended in disaster. There was paradise. Adam and Eve, yep, ended in disaster. Uh, yep. And then there was the people of Noah's day, ended in disaster. And then there were the patriarchs who had the, their descendants finally end up in Egypt for 400 plus years. And how was that when they came out? That generation didn't make it in, right? No, yeah. They, But others others did. 
And uh, then, of course, you have eventually the northern kingdom. They fall away in judgment. Then you have the southern kingdom. And all these were tests of God, long periods to test their loyalty to him. And then Jesus comes, and what happens? Here again, there's a judgment. Some are loyal, even though they don't understand everything. Mm -hmm. Others get judged because they are just perverse in their heart. So listen to verses 7 through 10 of Revelation 20. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So a thousand years have passed, the beast and the false prophets symbolizing the evil spirits and all of that, and those perhaps humans who have been connected with it. It's hard to tell because it's, it is symbolic. But the point is that now Satan joins them. So you've had this gap, this long period of a thousand years. Mm. Um, it does say there, that the numbers of these people are like um, the sand of the sea. And that's uh, a, a phrase from the Old Testament, which means a whole lot, surprisingly so, doesn't mean even that was necessarily a majority. It means a whole lot. Judges 7.12 were told that the Midianites they were fighting, they had camels that were like the sand of the sea. Couldn't count them. But I, I guarantee you, you could probably count them. And it was just a whole lot of camels right. that they'd never, they'd never seen before. Yeah. And in Jeremiah 15.8, God says, judging Israel, I've made the widows like the sand of the sea. And again, it's a whole lot of widows, but it doesn't mean uh, you know an infinite amount, obviously. They marched over the broad plain of the earth. So this takes place on planet earth. The, the earth we're on now, which has been renovated and restored in that age. Yet when the new heaven and earth are brought to pass, lo and behold, Revelation 22, the first five verses, there are the nations. Hmm. Where'd they come from? Good question. We don't have time for that. But my point is, they came out of the millennium time. There are plenty of nations who are worshiping God and being ruled by the servants of uh, God, Christians who have God's name in their forehead. So remember, the battle already is over. John 12, 31, Jesus says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. He's already defeated. Second, uh, Colossians 2, chapter verse 15 says, He triumphed over the principalities and powers, all those spirits, evil things of the dark side and the cross. And again, that passage that Randy read, Revelation 12, where Satan, when Jesus is enthroned, is thrown out of heaven and down to earth and his time is short. So Armageddon, let's rejoice that when he comes to judge per Psalm 95, Psalm 98, and uh, Randy read another passage said he judges, I believe it's Psalm 75 with equity. It'll be, it'll be a fair judgment. Judgment without mercy to those who haven't shown mercy, mercy to those who've shown mercy, and the saints of God ready to rule. That's the Christian expectation. Well, thanks, Jim. It's a lot to think about. And I'm sure there might be questions or comments about it. We'd love to hear your questions or comments, so please send those to eventsandexpectations at gmail.com. And we will use your question or comment on air where possible, and we will always get back to you and answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations. Until next time, keep looking up. <laughs>